Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. In this episode, you'll find out how my guest went from being a furniture salesman to building a $24,000 MRR productized service business after sending 3 million cold emails. Welcome to Hey First Name and Insider's Guide to Outbound Sales. This is the number one podcast for proven cold outreach tactics that get replies and book meetings so you can quickly grow MRR without wasting time on things that don't work. Can you imagine people thanking you for sending them a cold email? Yes, you heard that correctly. Yes, you heard that correctly. Not telling you to go to hell or asking not to be contacted. I mean, actually thanking you for contacting them and asking to start a sales conversation. My guest in today's episode went from being a furniture salesman to starting a productized service business, making $49 in three months. Yes, that's right, $49, to eventually growing his business to $24,000 MRR. After sending over 3 million cold emails, he's learned firsthand what really works and what really doesn't with cold email. This episode kicks off by my guest explaining his origin story, as well as obstacles he's faced and insights he's discovered while building a quarter million dollar recurring revenue business. In the second half of the interview, he'll share a specific tactic that you can implement immediately that's generated an 86% open rate and 36% positive reply rate and has people thanking him for his outreach. If you're looking to step up your cold email game, you'll want to stay tuned to the very end. Speaking of stepping up your game, if you want to join a free community of over 2,000 SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are all collaborating and helping each other succeed with cold outreach, go to morgandwilliams.com community to join the Cold Outreach Mastery Facebook group. It's free to join. I'm in there consistently dropping value, and it's a great place to level up your results with cold outreach. And if Facebook's not your thing, you don't want Zuckerberg spying on you, you can get tons of value by joining my newsletter head over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and enter your best email address. By the end of this episode, you'll have a cold email tactic that you can implement immediately to get results. Now, let's get to today's episode. Matt McQuinn is the co-founder of Coldlytics. Coldlytics combines cutting-edge technology with on-demand human research to build highly targeted prospect lists for your business. Get hand-curated lead research from any source in 24 hours. Matt, I got to say, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And I actually read your posts on Indie Hackers, I think maybe even a year ago, where you were kind of walking through the beginning of Coldlytics how you started it with your co-founder and kind of the bumps and along the way that you experienced and the successes. So first off, I want to ask, what kind of response did you see to those posts? 
from the community. Yeah, the Indie Hackers posts actually began with only one of the two original people involved in the project before it was even launched. I had done some stuff at Indie Hackers before I did, actually, and there's a chance you've came across them. One of their names was Kirill, and he went off mm. to another tech project that they did fundraising on, so he left before this even left beta. And that kind of validated the concept that there was interest in the product, but there was no customers at that time. And then they built it out over a few months together with who's now my co-founder, Richard Francis. He's in London, England. And they put it out on Indie Hackers. They said, guys, we've got this beta out. Anybody that wants to try it out, you know, here's the like the sign up. And we got a couple of initial signups. That was around the same time that Richard and I got connected um, and Kirill. And I was like, okay, there's something here in marketing. You know, you can scale what works, but you can't scale what doesn't. And so for me, considering any project or any startup, like you have to have some kind of market validation before I'm going to give it any energy, unless I'm really, really bought into something. That's why I was kind of hesitant early on. And maybe you could see that in some of the indie hackers posts, maybe not, because we gave a pretty intimate view early on. It was a pretty Mm -hmm. cool journey. So we first kind of started at that point of like two customers. And I think you said we've done like $49 or something in like three months, right? Like obviously nobody's... That $49 in three months post. Yeah, that's right. So like it's not paying anybody's bills (laughs) at that point in time. So I'm happy to go in and kind of give you an origin story or tell you a little bit more about my background, but you tell me what's most interesting. Yeah, well, for sure. I'd love to know, like, first off, what were you doing before you started Coldlytics? And then I'm going to go in there. Yeah. So before Coldlytics, I had had kind of a patchy sales career, we'll call it. My first sales job was ever in furniture sales. And that was where I really cut my teeth on nobody hates anybody more than a car furniture salesman. Uh, So (laughs) you can make any form of success in that environment. You know, you're going to do okay in another space. So I took what I learned there. I ended up going to school for marketing for a couple of years at a local college, graduated there, came out, and uh, I was taken on right out of college as a director of marketing at a little startup here in town. They're a publishing firm. And I'd met their sales team and everybody was great. And then I came on for the first day. He said, hey, things look a little bit different if the energy is a little bit off in the office today. We actually let go of the entire sales team last week. It's about half the company. I was like, whoa. I was like, what happened? He's like, so you're going to take over inbound marketing. You're going to do inbound marketing. We're doing outbound. You're going to do inbound marketing. And that's where all our new business is going to come from. (laughs) I don't know if you know what they taught us in school, bro, but like it is archaic. Like we learned about Coca-Cola campaigns. I can't scale this thing right now. And he's like, no, no, you'll Google ads. You'll figure it out. I was like, all right, sure. Mm -hmm. So I winged it and uh, happened to get some good leads from Google ads. We had our first three profitable quarters back to back at that company. So that was where I really cut my teeth in the marketing space and saying, hey, you know, can I trial by fire, come out the other side? And I did. So from there, my father has a video production company. I left that at just about the one year mark. And I said, I'm going to try this out, see if he wants to scale that. And it turned out to be more family than it was business. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So naturally, I got looking for the next opportunity. And this was my last career job before Coldlytics that I'm at now. So the last company I worked for is a company called Outflow, and they do deal origination for mergers and acquisitions. So we're talking to business brokers and investment bankers. It's a really cool company. I joined on month four or five. We were at 36,000 MRR. And in 11 months, when I left, it was 176,000 MRR. So just like massive numbers. I mean, they share that publicly and and they totally got to see that growth. Yeah. They said like, this is a notch in everybody's belt. I remember the one I was saying, like, you guys carry this with you wherever you go. And I was like, this is really cool to be a part of that. So as director of operations there, one of the big parts of my job, of course, was managing the outbound system to generate leads. And part of that outbound system is data. 
So that's where I experienced all the good, bad, and ugly of outbound. And at scale, of course, because we scaled a company through it. So I saw things go from when the, you know, the good and the bad are small to when they scale up to much larger numbers. And towards the end of my time there, I had just started chatting with Kirill and Richard through a, a Reddit thread called, uh, it's like our co-founders or something. And they were like, hey, we need like a sales and marketing guy. We're making this product. And I was like, man, this solves a problem I have. Like I'm interested as a customer here for the company I'm with, but also, you know, I'm definitely down to explore um, co-founding this. And in the middle of that conversation, I got fired from that job at Outflow. Wow. That was a huge wake up call. I bought my house two weeks prior and I had a year and a half year old daughter. And I was like, holy shit, man, like what's going to happen to me? Like, it's <laughs> like, this is not good. And so I remember feeling really embarrassed, like really just like humiliated by that mm-hmm. experience. Um, and I didn't tell my, who's now my co-founder at first. We worked a month together and then I was like, listen, I'm, I'm going to be straight up with you. I got fired a month ago. I know I told you I had a good job and all that, but like now <laughs> this is it. So <laughs> he's like, no, you're cool, man. He's like, what you do works. And that's all that counts. So I was like, all right, good. So from there, um, we started working on, on kind of building out the marketing for the company. And we started doing that with... I got to ask first, why'd you get fired? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I'd probably enjoy more clarity on that myself. But I think there was probably a political answer would be a misalignment between KPIs and expectations. But <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> I don't think I got a super clear answer. But I think fundamentally, it came down to relationships. And they're just being two different directions that I and other key people were trying Mm -hmm. to go. And it was the right move for them. Like I even told them, I was like, from a business perspective, like person to person, this sucks. I was like, but from a business perspective, you do what you got to do. And it is what it is. So, you know, yeah, I don't really have a super clear answer on that. No, that that makes sense. But uh, yeah, yeah. So that was definitely a humbling experience to kind of roll out of and into, you know, entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. for sure. For sure. So you are at this point now where you essentially, the boats are burned it's either cold lytics or nothing yeah. at this point. So yeah. what, I'm sure that lit a fire under you. What obstacles were you facing in the very beginning after that, after that happened? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, like it just like marketing one-on-one, the first step, step in any funnel, if you will, is going to be awareness. And nobody knew about cold lytics. Um, nobody knew what it was, what it did, anything like that. So I knew the first thing I had to do was just like get it out there. And the way that I do that best is through cold email. So to date, I've sent over 3 million cold emails, either through myself or a team of people sending them. And so I'm very well experienced in what doesn't work in cold email. And I've got a little bit of experience on what works really, really well. That's what I always tell people. <laughs> it takes that wealth of experience to kind of find the good and the bad. So that was the first thing I did. I started doing cold email outbound and I think we still have some of our initial customers from that actually. Some of those core campaigns we did. We went from our first two customers to I was doing demos and everything. We don't do demos now. Um, trying to book sales calls, giving away credits and stuff. And we got up to 30 customers doing that. But in the process, when you start anything and it's your lifeline, you know, you got to be able to eat. So what I did in the background, I'm in the mornings, I was doing these sales calls and stuff and I was running cold email campaigns. And then I was out like mowing people's lawns and cutting limbs off of trees and just like, <laughs> I was doing property <laughs> it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, awesome. I had to pay the bills. So right. it's not some sexy like, that. oh, he hustled because he had a fire under his ass and then he blew up a company. It's like, no, that'd be cool to tell people. But the reality is, guys, like it wasn't pretty. A lot of people probably would have just said, fuck it. Why am I putting energy into this? I'm going to walk away. You know, we're not making any meaningful money right now. Mm-hmm. And I did believe that there was something here. And obviously that's come to fruition now. But for the first, you know, six months after that, I kind of side hustled and did Coldlytics as well. And it reached a point in cold email where we started to stagnate a little bit in the strategy that we had. And 
I had to just continue to bring in income from other sources. And in about a two month window, we met a fellow by the name of Josh Nelson. Are you familiar with Josh Nelson? He is the seven figure agency guy. Yeah, yeah. Right? He wrote that book, Seven Figure Agency. Yeah. So I was in his group and I didn't even know who he was or what he did or anything. I didn't know about his book. I just saw an agency group and I was like, I'm going to be part of this because that's one of our core audiences. Now it's the mm-hmm. only audience we focus on. But at the time, it was a core persona we were pursuing. So I was commenting, you know, like, hey, guys, like, you know, you can find this through Coldletics if you're interested. When people were looking for our solution, I'd just kind of be present in the conversation. And we got a few customers that way, and it, and it worked. One of them happened to be Josh Nelson, and he explored it, and he sent me a message. He's like, hey, this is cool. Here's a spreadsheet. I compared it to D7, and I compared it to Lucia, and I compared it to, like, all these different guys. He's like, and you guys have the best results. Sweet. This is awesome. Like, can I use that? He's like, yeah, go for yeah. it. But he's like, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to make sure that all the people in my program have the best lead source too. So if you're open to some kind of partnership, I'd like to teach people, you know, that you're one of the top providers for leads. And I was like, you know, don't twist my rubber arm here, Josh, <laughs> by all means. So <laughs> that's what we did. Josh was our first kind of partner, the first social proof kind of figure in the industry thought leader that that said, hey, guys, this works and I'm going to put my name next to it. Before we get into the, the success from that or what you saw from that, I would like to touch yeah. real quick. So you said you first did demos and giving away credits, right? And moving into sales calls. Got your first 30 customers like that. Were you finding that it just wasn't scalable to have you on all these sales calls and running the campaigns? What was like the friction there? Yeah. So something Richard and I, and this is different than I think most founders I talk to, maybe deep down we're all on this level, but at least in the business world, nobody's really saying this stuff. Richard and I said, we're going into this business to get more time with our families. We both have young kids. And we said, that's the priority here. So if our business is consuming us and it's sucking the life out of us, then we're doing something wrong. And that needs to be the bottom line for us all the time. And sales mm-hmm. meetings all day are not my thing. I can do them, but they're, I just don't enjoy them that much, especially when your conversion is at the time, like our top conversion was like a $99 subscription. What are you doing with all your time for $99 a month? Um, it, it just doesn't <laughs> right. work. You need a shit ton of that to make anybody any money. So right. it was really valuable intel gathering, but that was the initial hurdle. It was like the economics here don't make sense. It's draining. It's not fun. It's taking away. That was kind of the biggest problem we experienced early on in, in trying to like scale the first 30. Got it. So essentially the go-to-market strategy you're using in corporate speak did not fit yep. the economics of what you were selling, right? Absolutely. So what was your next core campaign after realizing that doing those demos wouldn't work? The economics of that wouldn't make that approach feasible. Yeah. I'm going to give you a little window here that most people probably don't get in the startup journey because we all talk about like I did this and then I did this and then X was the result, right? And that's beautiful on paper. But the reality was there was a little twilight zone in between those two moments of growth. And that twilight might actually been like a month or two. And what I was doing in the in-between time was just joining all the Facebook communities that I could that were relevant to our core audiences and just being present in the conversation, trying to just add value because I knew I had a wealth of experience and expertise in cold email and I had a product that was relevant to it. So if nothing else, I could be present and try and create a little bit of awareness that way. That probably got us maybe 10 to 20 more customers. And then the thing that really kicked it off from there, our next core campaign strategy wasn't technically a campaign. It was affiliate partnerships and referral partners. So 
I mentioned Josh Nelson and how he came behind us and said, guys, like I believe in this product. I want to put my name next to it and send some people your way because I think this is going to help my agencies get their first five customers too. And we were super flattered. We're like, this is really cool. At the time, we didn't really know the impact that it would have. But Josh has probably sent over... Well, I don't know if I should say, but he's, he's definitely sent a lot of people our direction over the last, we've probably been doing this for eight months together, and 99% have been very happy and have stayed to achieve the result that they needed with Coldlytics. So that was our first window into affiliate referral partnerships. Can you say if it was like hundreds over, like low hundreds? It was hundreds. Three figures? Yeah. Hundreds. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so for us at the time, like that was definitely huge. It was the difference between like taking time away from our other income sources and investing more in Coldlytics. And so the next, let's call it uh, next three to six months in there, like we're getting up on at this timeline that I'm giving you, it was around the new year. We started to say, okay, like we've got some inertia here. I think we can start to step away from our other projects and focus in on Coldlytics a little bit better. So on paper, everybody's seeing Coldlytics as like this company that's running and it's scaling and it's making money and you can follow the journey on indie hackers and the revenue history, it's tied to Stripe and all that. So it was cool. And a lot of people just only saw that picture. But the reality was that that was not all that we were doing and it didn't have our core focus. And we kind of shifted into it around the new year, around Christmas time, and really said, let's do this. So the core strategy that we had been using to date and have been using, and we're only just now pivoting, has been building affiliate partnerships. So some of the other people that we've partnered with are like Frankie Finn. Uh, he has a group called the Beyond Agency. And he's more of a lifestyle-focused agency where he talks about having, you know, four or five really big core customers and then having your lifestyle away from your laptop in addition to your agency. And so we've started to branch out into different types of coaches and different consultants and people that have influence in the agency world and partnering up with them and they're putting out email blasts and stuff on their YouTube. And that really helped to boost our authority and trust in the marketplace. So that has gotten us from I think when we brought Josh on, we were probably at like the 3,000 monthly recurring mark until right now, I think, or I'd have to look back, mm -hmm. I think we did like 26 was our highest uh, four-week revenue over the last like month or so. I'd have to check again to see where we're at right now. That's kind of the, the scale over the last probably like nice. eight months. How many affiliate partners did it take you to get from that 3K to 26K a month? Yeah. I'd say we probably had like of core people that um, I would consider like active affiliates. Only really core ones being like somewhere between like three and five. It's an 80-20 situation where there was a lot of interest. A lot mm -hmm. of people wanted to be affiliates and a lot of them couldn't close anybody or didn't really do a campaign or just like they put their name on something. But then that was it. It was kind of not a really well thought out effort. And those who put it like a strategy behind it that was evergreen in place, those are the ones that we look back at and now we're cutting checks to every month. That's the difference. It, it wasn't even like if you guys are listening to this thinking, how can I scale? Like, how can I get that edge? I need a whole bunch of affiliate partners. Sure. Like if your click funnels and your user base is going to refer up teen dozen times because you're giving out half your revenue by all means like that worked really well for click funnels mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't a model that worked for us and we just didn't find that getting user referrals at the time because the product was so new worked because people would come to the website and there was nothing else to really sell them like now we have a lot of social proof and case studies and reviews on different platforms you can google us um, whereas before there was none of that. So it had to come from an industry authority and having just those two or three core people in the beginning really made the difference for us. 
Nice. Do you have different deals with each affiliate or just the same kind of yeah, yeah, that's a great question. standard sticker price? So it depends on when you joined in. Like the early on stuff, we gave people a much sweeter deal, much sweeter package, like lifetime commitments together with some of those early people because we told them like, you guys are committing to us as a risky startup that may just disappear tomorrow, right? This happens to startups all the time. Mm-hmm. So you're going to put your name next to that. We're going to match our commitment to you and really put something up. But then as time has gone on and we've gained more market validation, that has gone down and we've said, here's the commitment that we can make to you and vice versa. You know, those are economics that make more sense at this stage of the game for Coldlytics. It's been fluid, I would say. It's not been a fixed, you know, circumstance. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned that you're now only targeting agencies. Did that come from, hey, you saw that spark from Josh's group and then you said, let's duplicate that? Well, we all had a suspicion in the very beginning. We kind of just in discussions, I remember saying, you know, I think we're going to get the furthest, fastest with marketing agencies. But we had nothing to prove it. I had come from an agency background. Kirill was a developer and Richard was a developer and consultant. So he had a little bit of sales and marketing experience, but not as much. And like I'd come right out of an industry trajectory where I was director level for a couple of years back to back. So I had this really core knowing in me that it should work for agencies. And if it doesn't work, we're doing something wrong but I couldn't prove it either. So we had kind of branched out and we tested, I don't know, we must've tested between 12 and and 24 different niches altogether in marketing campaigns. And we got the most traction, the most simple sales processes came from people that already were doing what we need. Frankie Finn loves to use the example of if you're a shoe salesman, he always tells people, he's like, you don't want to go out and try and sell shoes to people with no shoes because you need to convince them of the idea that they need shoes on their feet in the first place. He's like, you want to find the guy that's got a closet full of Jordans and he's got 16 other shoes that you can't pronounce because he loves shoes and all he buys is shoes. You're going to sell shoes to that guy way easier than you are a guy who doesn't right. believe in shoes. So, <laughs> so that's what he teaches his agencies. Like, go find people that are advertising, doing PPC, exactly. and then sell them PPC services and show them the flaws and the ads they're running, right? Like, tell them why they can get better. And it's the same thing for cold You got to drop your line where the fish are biting, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So... For Coldlytics, agencies know what to do yeah. with a marketing list. A lot of people I talk to, especially friends and fam, what do you do? Like, what is Coldlytics? And I tell them and they're like, so who uses that? <laughs> so, right? Like most people don't know what to do with a list of contacts. Yeah. They think it's for like a fundraiser or something. You know, there's no practical life right. experience that makes sense of it. So if we're going to branch yeah. in any other sub niche for us, we'd have to go and sell the whole idea of outbound marketing first. And then the second sale is if we're the right person to provide a proponent of that. And that's true of any niche. I think a lot of people overlook this in, in their startup journey is like, there's people that already get what you're selling and you don't have to sell them on the concept. Just because Bob is the same as your other Bob avatar does not make him a good customer. Like there's a different level to it. If you can get more granular and say, is Bob already buying right. what I sell? Does he get it somewhere else? Then he's way easier to say, hey, Bob, you know, no risk. I got the same thing you're already spending money on. This might be better, right? You're going to look at it and say, Jesus, something I should focus on or just move along. For sure. Right now, I'd I'd love to switch gears into kind of how-to portion of this and discuss the method that I first saw on Facebook that you created a mini course on. So I think it'll give a lot of hands-on tactical value for folks who are wanting to launch those one-to-one campaigns, whether it's yep. you know to set a meeting or, or kind of what have you. So can you give us kind of an overview of Absolutely. like how you discovered this method? 
and then we'll go into the steps. Yeah, yeah. So I've mentioned the 3 million plus cold mm-hmm. emails. I highlighted that I've seen a lot of what doesn't work. And on the whole, if I were to describe what doesn't work with cold email mm-hmm. is like generic shit, basically. And that includes, I switched out a couple merge tags with like company name and first name. You know what I mean? Like generally speaking, that is dead. Everybody's seen it. Everybody's mm-hmm. got it in their inboxes almost daily. Some of us, it's not effective in getting somebody's attention. And so I was trying to figure out what's like the most human way I can get in front of somebody. So I'm much better. I can sell things in person. I can buy things for way less in person. Like that's what I'm really good at is actually in person selling and relationship building, but I'm in a tech business. And so I was trying to figure out how do I take those in-person skills and get them digital and There's an analogy that I like to use, you know, if you were selling a concept to engineering firms and you stood on the street and you were stopping people saying, hey, can I tell you about this uh, new calculator and tool that we've built that does da 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 da, people would just not even look at you. They just keep going, right? Or they'd probably slap you. They would not be impressed that you're trying to sell them some advanced technical thing that they don't need or have any idea why you're talking to them. But if you stood outside the doorway or in the corridor of a engineering convention Mm -hmm. where all these companies are showing up and you stop people just like cold, stop them and say, Hey man, look, I'm working on this thing. Can I show it to you? We're building this calculation tool that expedites projects much faster. People are going to stop and talk to you, right? Because you're in the right place at the right time talking to those people. So what's the difference? You're telling the same thing. You're doing it in a different place. And you're doing it to different people and it's the right place and the right people. So how do we bring that digital? And that was kind of where I was trying to wrap my head around. I said, okay, well, where can I find my people? I'm like, well, I've kind of got the, like the Facebook groups, the LinkedIn groups. And that works a little bit because I told you we got like 10, 20 customers, just me commenting on stuff. And that worked a bit. And I was like, how do I get into the conversations? Like, how do I Mm -hmm. hit that timing? And I don't even think it was as intentional as I'm making it sound. It was more of something that happened in the process of like, I just test everything. And I had found a post about cold email. I was trying to find more community online and I found posts about cold email. At the time, you could just search LinkedIn. I think you have to have a sales navigator account to do this now. There's different ways that you can do it though. And I'll tell you the free way to do it after this. But at the time, you could just search LinkedIn for keywords and any posts that were made with those keywords would (laughs) pop up, third connections or not. So I found people that were commenting, talking about cold email strategies. I was like, this is great. This is a whole list of people who are literally raising their internet hands saying, Matt, I am invested in getting better at the thing that you make people better at through data. I'm going, awesome. This is really good. How do I get in? How do I dig into this? Mm -hmm. I was like, well, the spammy thing to do would just be blast a bunch of messages at these people. I got to be part of the conversation. So I commented on the same thread. You know, I'd read through a couple of the comments and then engage with them. Sure. And make sure I like the post and try to follow and connect with that post author as well. Then what I did was I took it and I go ahead, jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick on the targeting. Like, how did you know a post was good to comment on or what stood out about a post? Really like think about it. If it doesn't make sense to you in in a tech application and you're just following steps, like that's what I do most tech stuff because I'm an in-person guy. Think about it this way. If you're going to jump into a conversation outside a bar and a bunch of people are talking, if you don't know what that conversation's about or if it's not relevant to you, you're just going to stand there like the awkward guy smoking a cigarette in the corner waiting for your chance to be relevant. Or you can listen and pay attention to just like step into a conversation that's happening to something Mm -hmm. you care about, you know about. It's going to be way different. You're going to have a good time. You're going to make friends and everybody's going to have a better time. That's the way to look at it in online conversations too. If you can find something that's happening amongst your customer's pain point, the thing that you help people with, 
then that is a conversation you add value to by nature. Unless you're selling something that doesn't work or you're not a nice person, you know, you need to just be present in those conversations for the strategy to work. So what I did is I Googled things that talked about the pain point and that was like cold email strategy. Or in this case, I searched them on LinkedIn. And I would find people talking about things that I contribute to through my product or service. So whatever you use this in any industry, it's harder with some technical industries or health industries, for example, like take dentistry. Dentists aren't hanging out talking about pulling teeth on LinkedIn. Right? That's not a thing. But I've worked with a lot of people who work with dentists. Right. And it's one of the hardest places to yeah. break into. And so you have to apply what works in your space. I always tell people, I'm like, listen, if you want to be relevant to a dentist, you know, write him a letter, show up in person, you know, hell, even become a client. Like you got to get in front of that guy. It's not just going to be, you know, I sent him an email to his office clerk yeah. and, and now we're both making a million dollars a month. It doesn't work like that. But generally in tech enabled businesses, that's mm. really what the strategy mm -hmm. works best for. Find the pain point conversation that's taking place. So if you sell sales consulting, find sales posts. If you sell sales enablement software, find people talking about, hey, does Salesforce work better for this or is HubSpot the one I should use? That's the way to think about it. And that's what I did. And so once I found that conversation and joined in, I then take that post over to Coldlytics and just ask our research team through the self-serve portal to go and pull as many contacts out of that commenter section as I could. And then I do a separate list for those who liked the post as well. And I'd write them two separate emails. The first one, and it's going to deduplicate automatically. So the first one would say, hey, Bob, saw we both commented on Morgan Williams posts about sales and marketing strategy about a month ago. He was talking about XYZ super specific. Like, you know, I'm not bullshitting you in that email. If I'm telling you what Morgan Williams was talking about on LinkedIn and we both commented, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. And then the strategy I used for the subject line was just uh, saw your comment on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. You're always trying to answer the question. A lot of people use the abbreviation W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? Everybody's tuned into that station, right? So by putting a subject line, like I saw yeah. your comment on LinkedIn, they're immediately saying, oh, this has got something to do with me. This is cool. You know, what's going on? Why are people paying attention to me on LinkedIn? I got to open this. And so you open mm -hmm. it curious and then you find out, oh, this guy saw my comment. And probably your first thought, if you're anything like me, I'd probably get anxious to be like, shit, did I say something, piss somebody off or did I do something really cool? They're probably like, one way or the other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that so emotional trigger. Engaged, right. And now they, yeah. at least they feel this need to read the rest of the email. For sure. And so the next step, I just say something to the effect of here's what I do, basically, with a little bit of social proof. And if you're interested, I'd be happy to chat with you about X, Y, and Z because we're both doing X, Y, and Z together in that comment section. So I'm, I'm tying it right back. Like I'm not acting like I don't know this person. I'm sending them an email like it's a peer that I bumped into earlier that same day at the same conference. You know what I mean? I'm coming at them like we already have a little bit of rapport established. This is what I'm doing. If you're interested in chatting more, why don't we chat more? Because that's what you would do in person. That's how people connect. That's how they have for hundreds and thousands and millions of years is through different communications mm -hmm. that align people. And people take it out of context with cold email so often. That's why it's all spammy these days. And it has been for years. It's because people come out just trying to sell something. It's like the cheap car salesman of the internet. Everybody's just slapping the hood and saying, buy this thing. It's a cool car. Mm -hmm. It's like, bitch, I don't need a car. <laughs> but we're still trying to sell it to you. So you got to be able to build relationships. Right. And so that's the strategy that I use that uh, 
really worked well, really converts well. That's the one that you and I had discussed prior, which had like 86% open rates on that subject line. And then I think we got 36% positive replies back. Now that's not to say all of those people became mm-hmm. customers. So I'll dive into this part a little bit for you as well. Real quick, did you just send that one email or did you have follow-ups there too? Yeah, I had a couple of follow-ups, but the vast majority of those metrics came out of the first email. And the next ones were very like very generic follow-ups. Honestly, they could definitely have been improved. If you have any follow-up strategy at all, it'll be as good as the one I, I used. Yeah, there was nothing special about the way I did my follow-up. Okay. And you made the two likers and commenters lists. What was the difference between those? Did you just call out, hey, you liked, you commented? The other one I didn't specify, I said engaged. I saw you engaged with the same post I did. It's a little bit warmer than like, I feel like if you just come out and be like, I saw you like the post, I'd be like, that's weird, man. Like, <laughs> why are you, why, like, why, right, why are you right, messaging right. me because I like the post, you know, it just seems weird. But to, it's just all in how you right. word it. So like, hey, we both engaged on Gary Vaynerchuk's post. And it's like, oh, I probably did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. So we've got that. And then you're moving into, you said 36% positive reply rate. What was the overall reply rate? Yeah, that actually was the overall reply rate to the entire campaign. I don't think I had a single negative reply. We did 110 in the specific numbers that I'm giving you these metrics for. There's 110 emails that went out in this (laughs) and they were all positive. They ranged from this of like, yes, let's set up a meeting or let's try this out to some of the alternatives were not interested. However, I don't normally stop for emails like this. This is really cool. I'm actually going to pass this on to my head of sales. This is something that we should be doing here. You know, kudos to you. Um, And I was like, whoa, like this is like getting attention for people that never reply to my emails before. They're replying to say no in a really positive way. So even if the sale isn't Mm -hmm. right now with those people, if I wanted to drip on those people, check in a year later, six months, two months, I'm way more likely to close some of those people because they immediately gained respect for the way that I reached out to them. And so that was kind of the range of what I saw, like people thanking me for the email campaign, which was weird. That was kind of when I had a light bulb moment and said, I got to put this into a course or something because I've never been thanked for cold emails in my life. In fact, I've been told a whole lot of nasty things for cold emails. And that's <laughs> right. what I said. You know, most of the cold emails I've sent have sucked and a little percentage of them have been good because it really took like trial by fire for me. I really got my teeth kicked in through cold email, making brutal mistakes, calling people wrong names, wrong companies, wrong industries, you name it, to figure mm-hmm. out that, uh, you know, I didn't know my shit and I had to really rein it in. So that's kind of been the journey and the results of that campaign. We still have customers from it today. I can't give you an exact because I don't know it, but it worked well for us. Very cool. I know you mentioned you don't have the exact number, but do you have like a ballpark or range of customers who came from that campaign? Yeah, so I don't off the top of my head, but what I do know is this, our largest value customer in the company's history so far is still with us to this day. And he came from that campaign and his entire agency, which is in, in the California and Australia, they have two sister companies and they use us and they have been our biggest customer to date. And it came from that campaign. So that was definitely the thing that kind of set Very it off cool. to me. was like, man, there's something, something here that people need to hear about. Cause if more of us were just shown the way we would have better relationships and do better business with people. Very, very, very true. That relevance. Last question on metrics, ballpark estimate, revenue, sales came from that campaign. Yeah. So if I were to ballpark out of the 110 people that we emailed, like in monthly recurring revenue, I'm going to say it added a thousand dollars in MRR. 
to date, it's added 10s, 20s, maybe 30s. It's hard to say how that's compounded, but I'm just thinking about like even that one customer in specific is probably spent north of 20. So, you know, like it's just the power of having the right customers from a tiny list, right? From a tiny list. It's probably the most valuable email campaign I've ever run. You mentioned at the very top when we were going through this portion on a free those way posts. to find find those posts, I think it was. Yeah. What I wanted to touch on that. What is that? So, and if you went through my course, you mentioned that you did. I teach it in there. So you used to have used to just be able to search LinkedIn and it would pull up all the posts with those keywords. Now I believe it needs a sales navigator account. The way to work around this, and it's actually a more intelligent way to go about it, is to back up for a second and think about your client's industry, not your industry. So if you're a marketing agency, you're in the sales marketing space, right? Like that's your industry. That's not the one you're trying to figure out. You're trying to think of the niche you serves industry. Who are thought leaders? And just write down three. This is the exercise that I get people to go through in the course. Write down three thought leaders that would have an online presence. And so in sales and marketing, for example, because that's my world, it's going to be like Gary Vaynerchuk and, you know, Grant Cardone, uh, maybe Russell Brunson, you name it, the list goes on. So if I can go to their pages, anybody can go to their pages and then scroll down to the activity section on LinkedIn and then click on posts, Mm -hmm. just specify to filter by their posts. Otherwise you see their comments and all the other stuff. Then scroll through that and start to look for anything that talks about your pain point. Because even though Gary Vaynerchuk's not a cold email guy, he does talk about outbound all the time. And so does Grant Cardone. So if I can go through and find one of those conversations where they're talking about something that does or doesn't work. And then I look Mm -hmm. at the comment section and say, okay, you know, do we have two or three people here? Are there like 50 or 500 even people commenting and engaged with this? And I take the context of the post and really think about it in that human way of if I were going to walk into this conversation with my little bit of value, people are going to look at me like I'm an idiot or are they glad I stepped into the conversation? And if that works, then I take that post over to Coldlytics, build a list, email them. Guys, you don't even have to use Coldlytics. Like just message them on LinkedIn. Like just get a hold of these people, however you go about it, because they're all standing there saying, hey, I'm your customer. If you're like, man, I can't use Coldlytics. I don't know anything about cold email. No problem, man. Like just message them, find them on Facebook, send them a piece of mail if they've got their address for their business. Like do something to get in front of them and be relevant in that conversation. Because I mean, sure, if you want to go to conferences and do the in-person thing for the rest of your life, that's worked for a really long time. But the world is changing and more of this stuff is moving online and fewer of those conferences and fewer flights are open and just things are changing. So to be able to be dynamic and have that skill set of in-person combined with tech um, is invaluable to you. And it's something I'm working on every day. Very cool. Coldlytics.com for anyone who's interested in building a highly valuable list from any source in 24 hours. Matt, pleasure to have you on the show. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. If you're looking for more insights, tips, strategies, and tactics on how to succeed with cold outreach, you should join my free community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are all collaborating, helping each other succeed with cold outreach. Go to morgandwilliams.com community to join the cold outreach mastery Facebook group. It's free to join. I'm in there consistently dropping value, and it's a great place to level up your results with cold outreach. And if Facebook's not your thing, you can get tons of value by joining my newsletter head over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and enter your best email address. And as always, outflow equals inflow. I'll see you next week.